Hi, my name is Shaheen Chaudhary and welcome to How I Lead Change, a podcast about executives and leaders leading successful human-centric changes in their organizations. I hope that you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy. COVID-19 has brought on unprecedented and unplanned change with severe impacts on society across the globe. We are all in this together, therefore, with this spirit, we have put together a special episode of the How I Lead Change podcast to share what leaders are doing to navigate this challenging time. Today on our show, I am joined by Andrew Petter, President and Vice Chancellor of Simon Fraser University, a world-renowned Canadian university known for its high caliber of post-secondary education. Thank you for joining me today, Andrew. Well, thank you for having me, Shaheen. Let's dive right in with our first question. Andrew, what can you tell our listeners about Simon Fraser University? Well, I can tell you that uh, we're a university that's just about 55 years old. We have three campuses in Metro Vancouver. Our original campus is on top of Burnaby Mountain, um, which continues to be our largest campus, but we also have the largest post-secondary presence in downtown Vancouver, in the heart of the city. And our uh, most recent campus, although it's about uh, 18 years old now, is uh, in Surrey, in the fastest growing uh, area of Metro Vancouver. So we benefit from three campuses with very different cultures, uh, when people can, can attend them in person, of course. Um, in terms of the, the size of the university, we are uh, a university that has well over 30,000 students at any given time, 1,000 faculty uh, uh, and thousands of staff, uh, operating budget in, in, uh, in excess of half a billion dollars, and a research income which has been the fastest growing of any uh, major university in Canada, now topping $160 million. The university uh, is well-ranked academically, as you've indicated, amongst comprehensive uh, universities in Canada. The Maclean's ranking, which is the leading ranking, uh, rates us as the top comprehensive university. And in fact, we've enjoyed that status for uh, nine of the last 10 years. And we're particularly proud of the fact that we have differentiated ourselves through a vision that um, we've pursued for about eight years now to really show how a university can contribute to the communities it serves. And our, our vision is that of an engaged university. So that engagement is reflected on campus, but it's also reflected in the way we contribute to the communities we serve. And that in turn means that our education programs, uh, as, as much as they normally occur in classrooms or in labs, uh, when we don't have COVID-19, they also take students into the community in co-op education, in internships, in service learning, in community-based learning. Our research, although again, um, there's much fundamental research that goes on within the university, there is, uh, in addition, a significant focus on how we mobilize that research, how we apply that research to benefit uh, society, uh, whether it's economic or social or environmentally and a strong focus on innovation. How, how do we take research and turn it into um, innovation that will benefit society, be it economic innovation or social innovation? And then we have really put the entire university through that same lens, and whether it's our land or our financial resources or our, uh, our, our talent, 
we ask ourselves, how can we make the best use of all of those resources to really benefit the societies that we serve? And so in our procurement, in our uh, management of our investment portfolios, all of those we are leveraging not only for the benefit of the university, but to see how we can extend their, their use to benefit communities. And I guess what I'd say is we've been really uh, particularly happy uh, in the last two weeks because Times Higher Education has started a major international ranking of universities based upon the impact that they're having based on the sustainable development goals of the United Nation. Uh, over 700 universities took part around the world. SFU was ranked 19th overall, which is itself extraordinary, but even, even more extraordinary perhaps, and something we're even prouder of is that we finished number one in the world for the impact we're having on contributing to sustainable communities and sustainable cities. Uh, and we're in the top 10 in terms of our uh, impact in respect of climate action and climate change. So uh, we think our vision is working, it's differentiating ourselves, it's creating opportunities for students and faculty, and it's positioning the university globally now as well as nationally as not only a strong research university, but a university with a strong social purpose. Uh, thank you, Andrew. That's very inspiring to hear uh, the university's ranking and the difference it's making. What has been the impact of COVID-19 on the university? Well, of course, the immediate impact was to require us to, uh, to shift our whole approach to education and research very quickly as the um, uh, response of the health authorities to COVID-19 within British Columbia required us to end in-person teaching and to move online. Uh, also to limit the research activities that take place to ensure that they're conducted safely. In some cases, that's meant that research has had to be temporarily discontinued. Uh, in other cases, it's meant that we've had to put in special safety protocols for that research. So that's been a major shift uh, to move from, from in-person teaching and an extensive amount of uh, lab-based and other in-person research to, uh, to teaching that is now done remotely has required our faculty to really change their whole approach. And in many cases, to use technologies, to, uh, to use uh, different uh, teaching methodologies than ones that they've ever used before. But what I'd say that has been particularly inspiring is how our faculty have stepped up and how well they have made that change. It has been uh, difficult under the short period of time that they had and students have also had to adapt. So I wouldn't pretend that it's been seamless or that the quality of the educational experience has at least initially uh, been to the standard that we want it to be going forward. But given the suddenness of the change, given the constraints, I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to continue our spring semester, allow students to complete their courses, to get the educational uh, programs uh, that they require in order to move on and that our faculty did everything they possibly could to support uh, student learning in that effort. We've also adapted our whole approach to student support and our staff have had to change, not only in the fact that many of them are now working from home, as indeed I am right now, but many of them are now delivering programs online that were previously delivered in person. Thankfully, we have programs in place that have uh, been very helpful. We have a major uh, program for counseling and, and support that allows all of our students to get 
24-hour support through online and telephone contact in multiple languages should they have stress or should they have other challenges that they need to talk to a counselor about or get a referral for. Uh, I was inspired just recently to hear how well our Indigenous Student Center has adapted and is supporting Indigenous students, elders who would normally support Indigenous students in person uh, within our Indigenous Student Center are now doing it online. So there's been a lot of, uh, of adaption, uh, a lot of creativity, but the resilience of the university community, of our faculty, staff, and our students to adapt to this sudden change has been quite remarkable. And then even more inspiring is the extent to which uh, the university community has stepped up and wanted to contribute to finding uh, solutions and, and responses to the COVID-19 crisis itself. So we have researchers who have refocused and extended their research to really look at how uh, they can help to provide solutions in, in a number of different ways to COVID-19. Uh, we have uh, students who are uh, developing innovations that can produce, uh, for example, using 3D printers to produce face, uh, face shields and the like. Uh, we have um, uh, programs that are working with municipalities to help them to develop recovery strategies. Um, in one case, an economic recovery strategy uh, in Burnaby. In the other case, we're using big data to support Surrey in some of its analysis so it can prepare for recovery as well. And then there was so much interest across the university that we decided to create a university-wide initiative called SFU CAN, CAN standing for COVID Action Now. And within that, a network that links up all faculty and staff who are interested in working collaboratively. And I think we have something like 900 staff across the university now who are connected uh, with faculty in, in, in thinking about what they can do to, to support uh, action to, uh, to address COVID-19 in multiple ways. So it's really been inspiring. It's of course consistent with our commitment to be an engaged university, but it's, uh, it, it's something that's very much bubbled up from the community, not been imposed from, from me, but something obviously that I'm very keen to support. So big changes. We decided uh, that our summer semester would be delivered online as well. We are a three semester university, so we have a very robust summer program. Uh, given the constraints required in terms of uh, size of gatherings and physical distancing and the like. Uh, we really had no alternative to, to uh, remote means online and other remote means for summer delivery. And we will soon be announcing a plan for the fall, which I suspect will include a significant amount of online, but also uh, hopefully start to restore some in-person teaching where in-person is important, like in lab courses and graduate study and experiential learning, we'll try to reintroduce some, some of that as well. At the same time, we're working hard to improve the quality of the online programming to making, make sure that it is as engaging and as, uh, as, as effective as possible in achieving the learning outcomes that we have and our students uh, need to succeed, and making sure that our student supports are also there for our students. Um, and those supports uh, range uh, from online services to continuing to provide residence uh, accommodation for those students who need it. Thank you for sharing. That's uh, quite a bit that the university is doing to continue to operate and, and make an impact not only on the university and the students, but also the broader society in dealing with the COVID-19. 
Um, what are some of the concerns that you're hearing from students, faculty, and staff uh, right now? Well, I think uh, there's a lot of stress, um, not only within universities, but within society. I mean, uh, human beings are, are used to interacting in person. Uh, we're social animals. Universities are places where the educational experience is not confined to the classroom. It uh, takes place throughout the institution in multiple ways, through different relationships. And those relationships are most naturally and historically have been uh, most obviously formed by in-person contact. So to try to now replicate that through virtual means is a challenge. And the fact that the feelings of isolation people have, the feeling that they're not able to, to get support in the same ways has put huge pressure on our students. I would say our students are also feeling the pressure of an uncertain uh, job market and concerns about summer jobs and about uh, other financial pressures going forward. Although the federal government's uh, announcement uh, a week or so ago of $9 billion of support for both student employment and increased support for students to continue their education has gone a long way for domestic students to address those concerns. It has not provided support for international students and the province also has come through with a support program, but again targeted at domestic students. So we've been doing our best to try to provide emergency support. We've raised funds, in fact, from within the university and from our alumni and, uh, and the Student Society has as well to provide emergency support. And that's really important for international students who can't get uh, the support from, from the government programs. On the uh, faculty and staff side, it's been quite dislocating, disruptive uh, for faculty members to suddenly uh, change their teaching uh, methodology and the way they deliver their courses using technologies they may have had no uh, background or experience in and to do that in the space of a few days has obviously been a huge challenge and it's been difficult and stressful and had implications uh, for the way in which uh, in which uh, they they can uh, uh, function and that too has been stressful uh, I'm sure for many um, our staff, have, uh, many of them are now working from home. Those that aren't are working in a new environment with physical distancing requirements and all sorts of security protocols that they are responsible for not only adhering, but in many cases enforcing. So uh, all, all those changes don't come easily. Having said that, I am just um, blown away by the resilience, uh, the positivity of all of those groups, faculty, staff, and students. Um, notwithstanding the stress and notwithstanding some of the anxieties, the general response has been a can-do attitude um, and where help is needed to reach out uh, for that help and where we can, we are doing our best to provide it. So challenges all around, but a sense that we're in it together and that our obligation as a university community is to support each other in every way possible. And I find that inspiring, frankly, that, that notwithstanding the adversity, notwithstanding the stress and the challenges that people have maintained as positive an attitude as they've been able, enabled to maintain. It's good to hear the positive uh, aspect of it and the resiliency of the, of the university across all the different stakeholders. Uh, share, us, share with us how you are leading through this unprecedented change. <laughs> Well, you know, universities are, are complex places. We're, on, we're like, like cities, you know, with, um, with uh, 30 to 40,000, uh, if you add the students and the faculty and the staff and, uh, and others who are 
super familiar with us, we're like a small city. So it's not a situation where uh, a president of, say, a corporation might be able to direct change. Uh, it's one in which we try to facilitate, provide guidance, and provide support. So I guess the most obvious thing of all is we have an emergency operations center and a plan that we have engaged to respond to this process. We, in fact, we engaged it back in January. I appointed our vice president, academic and provost, John Driver, to oversee uh, the process. And he pulled together a, 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 team, a working group or a set of working groups to, to look at all the issues that were engaged. As the situation became more serious and it became clear that we were actually going to have to fundamentally change the way we did business, we then um, operationalized another part of that, uh, that uh, emergency operations center plan, and that is a policy group, which I chair. And the policy group's responsibility is to look at how the university goes about addressing needs, where we have to make changes in policy, where we have to make decisions about how we're going to allocate resources, those kinds of higher level decisions. Um, and that policy group is made up of uh, uh, largely uh, vice presidents, members of the executive, but it's also supported by a very able group of advisors who provide communications advice, legal advice, security advice, um, and, uh, and, and are able to help uh, facilitate decision-making and give us the best advice and information in those issues. And that's been very helpful, but uh, this wouldn't work if, if uh, people on the ground uh, deans, uh, faculty members, uh, department chairs throughout the university weren't all working within their own spheres to adapt to the change. And I would say students as well. I mean, uh, we can't deliver educational programs unless there are students who are uh, equipped and prepared to, to engage with those programs. So to help students adapt to a new environment and to see how they have taken action to better uh, uh, so leadership in this case has been partly to set up the policy process and the working groups to make sure that we are providing support to the institution and, and facilitate providing the context for decisions to be made by, by uh, academic administrators and the faculties. And then the other important role that is not new, it's very much embedded in, in that of a university president is to provide uh, clear messaging to the community and support to the community regarding why we're doing it, to reassure the community that we, we are doing our best, to also communicate to the community that we understand that, that there are difficulties that are not being uh, addressed as well as we would like, but that we're working on it, uh, to, uh, to send out messages of support and to shine light uh, in areas where things are really working well, and then to, uh, to provide the resources and, uh, and support for further actions that need to be taken. Uh, within universities, leadership is often referred to as sense-making as opposed to command and control uh, because we're just too complex and diverse an organization to be able to, to run it from the center. Uh, the role of the president and of many on the executive team is to provide a sense of direction to make sure the resources are there and then leave it to those within the faculties uh, to actually implement the change or to adapt to the, uh, to the conditions that uh, are, are required. Okay, makes sense. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, what one piece of advice would you give other executives and leaders? Well, I think all organizations are different in the way that they're structured and the way that decisions are made. But I think one thing that is common to many of us is that it's all about people and people are all about relationships. 
So uh, I would say the most important thing of all, from my point of view, is to really make sure that one is doing everything one can to keep those relationships within one's organization productive and healthy, uh, to make sure people are, 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 are given the support they need to, to carry out the job in the best possible way and where they're struggling to recognize that and then move to help them. So tend to the human dimension of this more than anything. Uh, make sure that the, uh, the needs of your employees, your needs of your, of your customers, or in our case, our students, are front and center and are seen to be front and center in all that you do. And the other thing I would say is, uh, particularly with a, a crisis of this kind where the impacts are so diffuse and within a university, but I suspect within all organizations, listen to, listen to those within the organization who are close to um, what, what is going on and what the solutions might be. As much as possible, devolve the decision making to those who are closest to the action and who best understand the problem and the solution. So I'll give you an example uh, of that in the case of, uh, of the university. We have provided some general guidance and made some general decisions about academic programming. We obviously had to decide that programming would no longer be delivered in person. We had to decide, um, maybe we didn't have to, but it was the right thing to do to decide that our students in the spring semester would be given the option of choosing a pass-fail grade rather than a letter grade because they've gone through so much disruption in order to complete their programming. But beyond that, and a few other higher level decisions, we very much left the decisions about <clears throat> how best to deliver the courses and how best to utilize the technology to the faculty members themselves. Because we believe the faculty members best understand their students' needs, what kind of evaluation processes will and won't work in this new environment, how they can best engage students to achieve the outcomes that they have for their students with respect to that learning experience. And so we've really tried to encourage that decision-making to take place at the local level. And that's a reflection of, of what I'm saying is, allow those who have the knowledge and who are closest to um, the, uh, the, the problems or the challenges to play a major role in informing the decision and where you can and actually making the decision. That's great. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing your insights. Well, I'm very pleased to do so. I, I would just say that uh, uh, it's a learning process. It's a struggle. Uh, what we've done has been far from perfect. Um, and we're, we're, we're challenged every day to, to come up with uh, responses that will address some of the challenges that, that we're facing. But it's just good to know that uh, so many people are working together uh, I think that's part of what I just said in terms of leadership. It's good for me as a president to know that this doesn't just fall on my shoulders. Um, provided we have uh, uh, motivated and empowered uh, staff members and faculty members and in students, and students uh, I, I know that the whole community is working together and my role is to make sure that they are supported in that effort. And that's very comforting. And uh, uh, because we, we are not, we're not a, a perfect organization, these challenges don't have perfect answers. But if we're working together, if we understand, empathize, and are kind to each other, I think we can come through this and hopefully come out the other side even stronger uh, than when we went in. That's, that's, thank you for those kind and very inspiring words. 
Well, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, Shaheen, and I look forward to learning from others that you'll be talking to about uh, about lessons, because that's something else we have to do as leaders is is get outside our own bubbles and, and learn from what others are doing. And certainly I've been doing that with my colleagues across the post-secondary sector, but there's many important lessons that, uh, that can be learned uh, as we look to other sectors as well. I agree with you. Well, that's all for today's episode of How I Lead Change. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Now go out there and be successful at change.